Thank you, music team. Much appreciate the uh, time of worship as we've uh, already entered it into the very holy place of worship before the Lord. Could you, if you have your Bibles, uh, could you turn to Isaiah chapter 9 today? Isaiah chapter 9, where we're going to read the first seven verses together. Often only read the first six verses, but let's read the first seven verses. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lately esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Afterwards, more heavenly oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. You have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the days of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us, a child is born. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's look to the Lord further in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is your word. We thank you that this prophet Isaiah spoke these words so many thousands of years ago. And we are grateful today that we in this generation can hear your word and rejoice that light has shone in darkness. And that light is not an abstract, for it is, for rather, he is the light of the world. And we thank you, Lord, that as we look and meditate upon these thoughts today, we pray that your Holy Spirit will take your word, apply it uh, to our hearts. As our faces differ, so too our needs differ, Lord. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, even amongst us this day, and the authority of your word, that you may bless each and every bowed head and bowed heart. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but there's something about being in a dark place that's rather fearful. I remember growing up as a young child, going to a new place to sleep at night and being afraid of the dark, looking around and seeing the shadows and wondering what those shadows represented wondering if they were strange and violent creatures or even men or people that would do me harm. And as I've gotten older, and I was afraid of the dark. I have to admit it, I was. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten another fear. I look at my hydro bill and now I'm afraid of the light. <laughs> well, not really, but anyways. This passage in Isaiah is meant to remind us again as a significant passage, a prophecy concerning Jesus, who is the light. He is uh, the light who opposes the darkness. And it's a wonderful thought. He is the light 
who has brought deliverance. He is the light who is the deliverer. And he is the light who demands your decision. So those are the four points we're going to try to cover uh, this morning. First of all, verses 1 and 2. The light and the darkness. Isaiah was called the prophet of good news, Old Testament. And yet he continually brings good news to the people of God. He um, existed at a time similar to our own, a time of prosperity, a time of wealth, a time when many people were uh, away from God. But he was the one who spoke of the virgin who would conceive in Isaiah 7. He spoke of the thrice holy God that he had that vision of in Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we need a fresh vision of who God is, don't we? He was the one who spoke of the suffering Savior in Isaiah 53 whose sins, our sins, were laid upon him. And he was the one in Isaiah 55 who says, My thoughts, speaking from God, are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Wow, have you got a glimpse of something of who he's talking of? For Isaiah is constantly reminding the people, just as we would today, Get real with the real God. And unfortunately, in our day and age, most of us succumb to, because we're living in this prosperous age, uh, the God of prosperity. Or we've embraced the God of instant success. Or maybe even the God of hard work. Or maybe even the God of perpetual suffering. None of these are the God of the Bible, by the way. For the God whose name is Jehovah, who came and proclaimed himself as Jesus, he is the one who we need to get to know. And like some of the couples here that are new or married, hello there, <laughs> um, they are getting to know one another. And they're getting to know one another, and let me say this, after 41 years, I still am getting to know my best friend. You know, that's the joy. But she's my best earthly friend, but there is one that I'm still getting to know, my heavenly friend, the friend that sticks closer than any brother. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You know, when things don't go right this morning, how did you like that cold weather, by the way? <laughs> Was it cold enough for you? <laughs> no, I saw some good heads shaking. No, give it to me. Give me some more cold weather. <laughs> you know, it was funny. We were down in New Liskert yesterday, and we're driving back to Timmins on the highway in the dark. And as we go, we just watch the temperature gauge just keep going down as we're getting closer to Timmins. It's great to be a northerner. It's great to live in this northern city. And uh, wonderful that God is here with us because he is the one that makes it warm and worthwhile. We don't know when Jesus was actually born, do we? Not really. We celebrate on the 25th of December and one week from now. Some feel he was actually born sometime between February and April. And I'm not going to get into a lot of discussion on that, but the thought is that those shepherds that were abiding in their fields keeping watch over the flocks were really the Levitical shepherds who were keeping watch over the sacrificial lambs that would be born between February and April. And so that that was the time. Uh, if you go over to um, 
Israel, even during December, they can get some snows. Generally, the flocks are not on the fields. And there's not a lot of green grass at this time. So, be it as it may, I'm glad that we celebrate at this time of year when it's the coldest and the darkest and the toughest time. I welcome that angel chorus that we've been singing about this morning. I welcome the light who came into the darkness. Three days from now on the December 21st at 5.44 a.m., be there, we will welcome the winter solstice. Eight hours and 18 minutes of daylight. That's as small as it gets for Timmons. Anything more, the next day it will actually get two seconds brighter. And then it keeps getting incrementally brighter. January still doesn't get very bright, but uh, it's nice that at the lowest peak of time, we celebrate the coming of the Master, the Lord of the universe, the light of this world. It's also interesting because the Jewish people have a, a feast. You've probably heard about it, a little bit about Hanukkah. Hanukkah, I should say. Uh, celebrated from the intertestamental period, that period of 400 years of silence that we don't see much about, but the Maccabeans lived in 164 and they had a revolt. And uh, It was named because at that particular time in 167, a miracle occurred as they rededicated the temple. They only had one day's worth of oil for the great lamp that would be burning and it was need of a fresh supply for seven more days. And that one day supply miraculously kept burning for eight entire days. That's why if you know some Jewish friends, you will notice that they light eight candles during this period of time, Hanukkah. It's rather interesting that eight is the number of resurrection in the Bible. And eight speaks eloquently of the one who is the light of this world. Who said in John 8.12, I am the light of this world. John 8.56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad. Now I don't know about you, but some of you I suspect don't like Christmas. You kind of just get a little bit antsy, a little bit stressed out. Because it really doesn't fit your cup of tea. You're either going to be working on Christmas Day, some of you I know are, you're going to be uh, in a strange setting which you really don't want to be. You might be uh, with some strangers that you call relatives that you really don't want to be with either. You know, there's always that odd uncle or, or aunt that really kind of rubs you the wrong way. Oh, you don't get that way. Okay, that's fine. The people of Naphtali and Galilee were the backwoods of Israel. They were the northern parts, kind of like so porcupine, <laughs> Timmons, you know. I noticed on the weather maps, do you ever get that? Every time Timmons is the coldest in Ontario, you'll see it. And Timmons, minus 20 today, you know. And, uh, but whenever we get the hot weather, they just ignore it. You know, we're known for snow and potholes <laughs> and, and sinkholes. Really good things, right? Well, Naphtali and Galilee was considered the backwoods of Israel, the dark land, the area that was considered the farthest north from Jerusalem, which was the place of worship. And it was considered the least Jewish and the most tainted by Gentile influence, the worldly part. Don't go to Galilee. That's the worldly area. 
Here in this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, it's called the distressed land, the dim land, a land of gloom and discouragement, a land of vexation. Reminds me of what Nathaniel said when he heard the Messiah had come out of Galilee and he says, huh? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> ah, but where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Please, never let where you were born, the family that you came up in, the traditions that you came out of, the roots that you have, how many bandits and thieves you have in your background, never let that hold you back from doing good for Jesus. We get so caught up in heritage and history and we say, I can never change. And the Lord says, I am making a new creation. Brothers and sisters, you've been brought into a new family. The light has come. It's no longer a land of dimness. We think of light and we can't go into a long discussion because, first of all, I have very little understanding about light. I can see you, you can see me. Well, you can see the reflection of the light electromagnetic spectrum that's between 0.4 microns and 0.7 microns that's reflected back to you and it's constantly changing and your sensory uh, cells in the back of your olfactory, uh, your, your eyes are seeing it. Hmm. It's a hard one to figure out. There's ultraviolet light, infrared light, but those we can't see. Some of the insect world can see those. We just see the frequency we call light. Some say it's a particle, some say it's a, may, a wave, electromagnetic wave, some say it's both. I don't get it. I just know that it works. Isn't that wonderful about faith? I don't get faith either. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. I don't get that. You know, all the world is working to get themselves right with God, and he says, don't need to do that. The light has come. The babe in the manger who grew to be that wonderful person talked about in the Gospels, and then spreads his arms out on the cross and says, I love you, and dies for your and my sin. He has said, that is enough. It is finished, paid in full. The wonderful good news of Christmas. So you and I don't have to totally get it. We don't have to totally understand it. What we do is we have to believe Him and surrender our hearts to Him. In the second part of this chapter, it's a little difficult in some of the translations to understand what he's talking about. We understand that people have seen a great light. Matthew actually quotes this in Matthew 4, and he talks about it in reference to Jesus working in Galilee, and he says, this fulfills the prophecy. But what about this, verses 3, 4, and 5? Multiplying the nation, broken the yoke. What's this about Midian? The prophet Isaiah is making many, many allusions to history of Israel. For example, he's alluding to Gideon in Judges chapter 6 through 8. If you haven't read the story of Gideon recently, it's a great Christmas story. It's a wonderful Christmas story. So I encourage you to take some time during the Christmas season to read the story of Gideon. Here's a poor guy who's working in a, uh, a, a cellar uh, uh, down below, out of sight, because the Midianites have taken control of the land. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, 
You're a valiant man. You're looking around, well, you're looking, talking to me? <laughs> he says, you're going to deliver Israel. And there's the story. And here he has 30,000 troops. God says, too many. 10,000 troops. Too many. Lest they say Israel got the victory. Finally, 300. Now, he could have gone one step further and said, Gideon, you could do it all by yourself. Because that's the picture of Jesus who went to the cross and did it all by himself. Not as just as a man, but as God the man. The man God who dies for all the sins of the world. And so this picture in John or in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 3 to 5, tells us a little bit about what happens in battle. You see, light can deliver us. Have you ever noticed that? You're in a dark room, you throw on the light, oh boy, <laughs> I just missed bumping my knee. I just missed falling down a flight of stairs. Why? Because light has delivered you. Light has delivered each one of us. The light of this world. And he brings increased gladness. Romans 10 11 says that it, you are not ashamed because of the presence of the Lord. And Psalm 16 verse 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Wow. That's a passage of Scripture that we need to get into our minds. The Lord Jesus comes to bring us joy, unspeakable joy. We were singing of it. And it's wonderful to be able to sing of it during this time. But what about when that toilet overflows? Can you speak of unspeakable joy then? Or what about when the things just don't go the way you planned? The joy has come. He is your light and your salvation. We need to change our way of operating and stop being dependent on our circumstances and instead let the light of the Lord live through us. The light is called a deliverer in verses 6. And it's a wonderful, six and seven, and it's a wonderful uh, description of who that light is. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. This shows his dual nature. He is not just uh, the son that is born, he is is the son, not the child born, but the son who is given. The son who came into this world to give himself for you and for me. And the government shall be on his shoulder. I remember somebody saying, wow, this is a tough time to be in North America. We just have a transitional government going on to our neighbors to the south. And I don't trust that guy down there, they said. I I don't trust what's going on down there. They were doing some interviews of some folks uh, in uh, Montreal. They They were asking them, what do they think of the new elect president? And we're getting a very positive response from most Canadians. The government is not on that man's shoulders. He's on my Jesus' shoulders and your King Jesus' shoulders. He has never abdicated the throne. And we have a teaching that's gone around that goes something like this. The devil, the prince of the power of the air, is really in charge of things today. That is not the Bible I read, and that's not the Bible you're reading right now. For it says, The throne of David and over his kingdom will be established and judgment and justice from this time forward and forever. Who's on the throne right now? Jesus is on the throne. We read about him in Revelation chapter 5. 
And there is nothing that is going to happen in this world without his divine prerogative and allowance. He is active and he is at work. And we need to stop acting like the devil's on the throne. He's a liar and he is a murderer from the very beginning. And he has come to take away your peace. And there's too many of us who give him too much credence. And we need to instead come before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, you're on the throne. What would you have me to do? That was what Paul said on that road to Damascus. Lord, what do you want me to do? And what is his name? Well, there are a number of things we, uh, we could see. Some people listed as seven names. Others listed as eight. I like to list it as eight. He is wonderful. In Judges 13 and 18, when Manoah was making an offering to the angel of the Lord. Now, this is pretty cool, like Old Testament story. If you haven't read it recently, it's a good one to read again. What's he doing? Worshipping an angel. Because this is the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord. This is what most theologians believe is the pre-incarnate interaction of Jesus in the Old Testament. And he receives worship. But he says, what is your name? He says, why do you ask me my name seeing it is wonderful? His name is wonderful. And I hope he is wonderful to you as well. Oh, that men would praise the name of the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. But not only this, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. He is the counselor. The importance of being in government is not the person that's in government, but what counselors they get around them. We have the greatest counsel that the world can ever give you greater than the world. And he is the Holy Spirit. The Comforter has come. And in John we discover, he says, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. You don't understand a passage of Scripture? That's okay. Ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate it to your understanding. But he's not only the Counselor, he is the one who is called the mighty. Now, I, I've actually separated it and the mighty and God as two separate names. Uh, there are no punctuation in the Old Testament nor in the New. The commas are not there. The commas have been inserted. That doesn't mean you have a right to put commas any old which way. <laughs> but at the same time, I believe that this, the mighty, he is the great God and Savior, Titus 2, 2 verse 13, Jesus Christ the mighty warrior, the mighty champion. He's also the almighty, the almighty God. The eternal, the eternal one, the everlasting, not just everlasting Father, the everlasting. Jesus said, I give to you eternal life. He can only give eternal life because he is eternal. And then you go, well, I thought he died. Well, he did. Uh, the body and spirit were separated. That's what we call death, isn't it? The spirit and soul of Jesus was separated from his body for three days. He died. But he died for you and me to be that sin offering. And then he's the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14. Get to know me and you get to know the Father. 
He's also called the Prince. Daniel says, Know and therefore understand, Daniel 9.25, that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. I don't fully understand all the timelines in the Scriptures. I knew one thing. He's coming. And He's coming soon. And that's enough for me. I think far too often we have gotten into this idea that, well, if I can just figure out the timelines, I'll just get my little cache of food and get my prep, my uh, doomsday prepper course finished and, and I'll be all set to have my little cache underground uh, cavern and be ready to tough it out for those who believe that he's going to come during the tribulation or mid-trib or post-trib. And then there's the other group who says, oh, I don't need to do anything. I just need to be, hmm, get my hammock out, <laughs> my pina colada, and enjoy life. Because it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm covered by the blood. Somewhere in between those two extremes. He says, work, for the night is coming. And the light of this world is Jesus, but we're called to serve him. In September of 1940, a gentleman by the name of Witold Polacki, a Polish army captain, did the unthinkable. He snuck into Auschwitz. Yeah, this is reported that he went into the camp at Auschwitz, the concentration camp that is, he was a Christian and a Polish patriot, and he wanted to get information about the horrors of Auschwitz, and he knew the only way he could do that was from the inside. So they approved this daring plan. They provided him with false identity, with a Jewish name, and he allowed the Germans to arrest him. He was sent to Auschwitz and assigned to number 4859. He was a father and a husband, of two, uh, uh, husband and had two children. And he said, I bade farewell to everything I'd known on this earth. He became like any other prisoner, despised, beaten, and threatened with death. And from inside that camp, he said, I was now playing a game at Auschwitz, which was very dangerous. In fact, I had gone far beyond what the people in the real world would consider dangerous. And in 1941, this prisoner started working on his dangerous mission, organizing the inmates into resistance units, boosting morale and documenting war crimes, using couriers to smuggle out detailed reports. He helped organize a secret radio station that worked using scrap parts, and he supplied information so that when the world, the Western allies with their key intelligence, they understood what was going on at Auschwitz. Once he set his mind to do good, he never wavered, he never stopped, he crossed the great human divide that separates knowing the right thing from doing the right thing. A missionary in the true sense of the word, he went where you and I would rarely want to go. It was called the diamond among Poland's heroes. And this is what Christmas is all about. Only better. For John 1.14 says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Literally means He pitched His tent amongst us. Jesus came into our world as a baby. He came and told us and showed us how to live, but more importantly, He showed us God's love. He showed us that the God who loves this universe loves us individually enough to reach out into this world of darkness and come as a Savior for you and for me. Perhaps you've heard this story before. Little Sunday school class was sitting up at the front. They were holding up letters one after another. The title of their 
of their song was Christmas love. Sea was, was turned around and they talked a little bit about C is for Christmas. Then they went to the next letter, H, and they, H is for happy and so on. And they went through the whole list. They got to the M. Somehow the little girl holding the M had flipped it around. It was now a W. And the kids in the audience and the, the adults in the audience were kind of snickering and, and kind of laughing at her. And she was proudly holding up this huge W. And, and uh, well, it was going pretty well until that moment. You can imagine the difficulty in calming all the audience of young, giggling children. The laughter continued. It continued until the moment that the last letter was raised. And when the last letter was raised, they did a little shuffle act. And instead of saying Christmas love, it said Christ was love. And that's the purpose for Christmas. He came into this world. In John chapter 3, it says that He came into this world that we might receive the greatest gift of all, eternal life. Oh, I wouldn't accept that gift. It's too valuable, the woman said. Bob, a good friend of ours, had been trying to give Sue his wife's favorite burl necklace. You see, his wife had just passed away. And he said, this was Ruth's, and I want you to have it. Sue said, well, you should keep it to remember her. But Bob was insistent. And so humbly and feeling much honored, Sue accepted the necklace and wears it with special memories to this day. Have you ever received a gift so extravagant that you didn't feel right taking it? Maybe it was a keepsake like this necklace. Maybe it was very expensive. And you say to yourself, I feel ashamed. I feel awkward. I've never received such generosity before. I feel embarrassed. I feel humbled that someone cares deeply enough to give me this. The message of Christmas is the greatest and most expensive person in this universe has come to give himself for you and for me. Perhaps you've never received him. Oh, maybe you've received the image of him in a manger. And maybe you've received the image of him being on the cross. But what you've never received is him. For today, as we were saying at the very beginning, many of us have convoluted ideas of who this God is. But let me assure you of this. He is the living God. And He will not play second fiddle to anyone or anything. And there are so many of us that come to the Lord and we're like Ananias and Sapphira that, uh, of the old uh, the, the Acts chapter 5 example. they got one pocket, they got a bulging with cash, and the other pocket they're saying, Oh, and by the way, I sold my house and I'm giving it all to you, God. Meanwhile, their pockets are bulging. And there, there wasn't, it wasn't about what they were giving. It was about the deceit of their heart. And so many of us receive Jesus, but we're not receiving Jesus. We're receiving what we think is religion. Or we're receiving uh, a theological position. We're receiving uh, an image of a stable and a manger. <laughs> Christmas and all of its festivities. But what we're not receiving is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. 
And there's only one position you come to, to the Lord of this universe, and that's on your knees, in full contrition, in full obedience, and in full acknowledgement that His mercy is only what keeps you alive. And so today, have you received the Jesus who is soon coming as Lord of Lords and King of Kings? If you have not, then you will celebrate Christmas probably like thousands of others, millions of others around this globe, but you will have missed the one who came for you in this year at this time. You see, he is living, and he loves welcoming us into his kingdom. And he will only do that is if we come in repentance and faith. It's rather interesting in the New Testament, the link between repentance and faith. Repentance is not about doing. It's about a change of heart and a willingness to allow him to do what it may. Why was it the martyrs would willingly embrace death like Stephen and look up and say, this is wonderful, Lord Jesus, I see you right now. Why? Because they did not embrace a religion. They didn't embrace a tradition. They didn't, no, they embraced Jesus, the living God. The Son of Man has come into this world and now the decision is yours. Some of you today need to let Him be the Lord of your life and allow Him to be who He is in your heart. And some of us, who are servants of His and know full well that our lives aren't where we should be, need to return to the way that He has called us to be. And this is not about legalism. It's not about law. It's about grace, mercy, and joy. And this servant that we have spoken of, the light of this world, has come. Do you think for a moment those three wise men Maybe there were four. Maybe there were a fifth. I have no idea. They brought three gifts, so we assume that there were three. But these wise people that came from far away to worship Jesus, when did they walk? They had to follow the stars, so they only walked at night. Those of us who have to work shift work never discount the value of working at 2 o'clock in the morning. Because it was there at two in the morning, the kings were following that star. And they were saying, leave me, Lord. Probably sleeping during the daytime, too. Not a very comfortable thing sometimes when you've got camels around you and the smell of the caravan. But they were following the star wherever it led them. And that's the call of the believer's life, to follow Jesus. As we call up our, our music team to finally give their final song, I encourage you to be a follower of Jesus. Not just a Christian, but to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you this morning that you have been here amongst us. We thank you for your presence. Lord, renew each one of us. We think of David as he prayed, O Lord, I alone have sinned. And we pray, Lord, that at this time of the year, there may be a repentant spirit here in each one of our hearts that we might say, we wish to adore you. We long to love you as we ought. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're, there is forgiveness at the cross. 
that there is life, liberty, and continual new life for each and every day. And so as we go forward, Lord, bless us now as we separate, for we give you our thanks in Jesus' name.